Now introducing Mr. Kawada himself, my dad. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, this is Quantum of History. I am your host, Daniel Waldron. Welcome into another episode. Today's episode going to be episode 33. It's going to be a view to a kill. And if you haven't checked out the YouTube version of this, like I said this this podcast is always way better as a as a podcast audio over a visual. I think I just like to do the, what YouTube just for fun, and I can tell just by how many people watched versus how many people listen. You guys agree. But this is the one where if you haven't checked it out on YouTube, you should check it out just because the visuals to go along with I think are pretty good. Um, so this is one of those ones, if you get a chance, you watch it on YouTube too, um, or at least get a, just skim through it and see some of the stuff because it was kind of funny. It was fun to do. Um, but yeah, today's going to be episode 33 of View to a Kill. And if you're not going to go watch it on YouTube, I'm just going to tell you right now, I have such disdain for this movie. <laughs> I mean, I can't. Um, you know, of all the movies, all the other 23 movies, I can find something to like, something to enjoy and I can sit through and watch it or I can have it on the background or I can find something like that's pretty cool. In this one, I can't, I would just never show this to a loved one. I'm just so embarrassed of this movie and Raj is at the, is at just the creepiest. It's just the creepiest. I'm telling you, it's, it's like watching Megan's Law incarnation with this movie it's just too much creepy just doesn't work for me on on a lot a number of levels um but the plot itself actually is good and again max zorin starts with the horse racing investigation into something else uh, and it becomes more nefarious after that that part is great i love that is very bond to me that whole plot is very bond to me and we're going to talk about horse racing in general and how horse racing began, how it evolved, what it is today, and the types of people that are into horse racing today. Also, we're going to have some funny stories about um, some people trying to cheat at horse racing. We're going to have some rudimentary, just bribes, some scandals with Bob Baffert. If you guys know him, he's the like most famous trainer, most successful horse trainer who just keeps getting popped for doping. Um, and there's going to be some fun stuff along the way. There's also, we're going to talk about a guy who watches horses have sex and the family who's watched 200 years of sex for horses you know good that's that's their family business uh <laughs> and uh we're gonna get into that and it's just gonna be a fun episode uh like i said sometimes you have to just have a lighthearted episode my last couple episodes have kind of gone into the weeds and i feel like when you start getting into history you start getting into politics it's kind of becomes a rabbit hole and you can kind of become stuck in quicksand you can go into it because you can go and listen to podcasts you can go and watch the movie or uh, CNN, or you can go and watch Fox News, or you can go and read all the journals, or go on Instagram and get all the memes. There's so much that you can delve into, and you can kind of get lost in, in the weeds. And I equate it to when I did drug work uh, as a as a police officer. Is that, you know, if you get too far into it, you can lose yourself. And I feel like sometimes you have to step back and you have to have some lightheaded episodes. And that's what I want to do. I don't want to always be so serious or get into too much. Th- Uh, of the weeds. Sometimes I like to have a step back and have some fun and have some humor. So that's what this episode's about. When you do drug work, when you become a good drug cop, it's not a nine to five job. You can't just go in, do your work and come home. You find yourself, it's 24 seven, you know, you're sitting there playing with your kids and all of a sudden you take a phone call from a CI who says somebody just got shot. You need to come in and you know who did it. And then before you know it, you're rounding up or you're taking text messages at 3am from prostitutes telling you, uh, Hey, this has just happened. This guy just came through, dropped off something. Before you know it, you're in this realm and and you can't get out of it. The the difference between what your real life is and and what your work life is, it becomes very skewed. 
I mean, you see it. You 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 can see it, and you see people. You see some of the guys who become like the way up in drug cops who live, who live at work twenty hours a week or twenty hours a day. Um, you just you can't do it, and you lose yourself. And I feel like if people people who get too far into politics or too far into that side can kind of come in the same way, where you kind of spiral down into this quicksand, and it becomes too much about who you are. So it's good to have a step back. This is the like to have a for your eyes only to Moonraker or to have a Casino Royale to die another day. Sometimes you just got to step back, readjust, and then have some fun. So that's what this episode is going to be. It's going to be fun. Again, if you haven't checked it on YouTube, I thought it, it, was, I thought it was really fun to do on YouTube. It came out pretty good. Um, so check it out. And without further ado, let's get into A View to a Kill. From the start, it lets you know it's not going to be good. Uh, this, the ski scene. Oh, Raj, if, if you were to, if this wasn't a James Bond movie, and you saw some creepy old dude like Roger Morris in this, in the bathtub doing that massage thing, it's like, oh my God, did you really need the Chanel bag that badly? And if you see those memes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a bad. It's not a good movie. Um, but the plot isn't bad. And there's some redeeming qualities of it. Again, Max Zorn, the idea of Max Zorn isn't bad. Super villains are always the best. And tech tech giant, uh, bad guy, really pertinent today. Could really love to see it today. Just in this movie, it's just really, it's god awful. It's god awful. There's nothing else to say about it. Oof. But. We're going to go on to the topic today, which is horse racing, which is a very James Bond uh, topic. Very much would be somewhere he would go to because the playground of both the elite and the elite of the criminality and the oligarchies and oil tycoons and tech billionaires and all that stuff, where do they go to have measuring contests? They go to the horse track. They go to horse races. Who's got the bigger horses? Who's got the fastest horse? Everywhere from cartel members to everybody. Everybody wants to get into horse racing. Who are the elites of the elites? That's where James Bond lives. That's where James Bond thrives. And it's the best spot. So let's get into it. Let's get into the topic today. Horse racing. Elevate. Elevate. Only obligation is to tell it straight. So much on my plate, I gotta delegate. Baco pass a drug test. We gotta celebrate. I'm in better weight. Thinking how to make. All this happened for myself and my family. All this happened for myself and my family. There's no way that this is real, man. It can't be. In horse racing, as is often the case with Bond, um, he's sent to the world of the elites, of the oligarchy, the richest and most influential people in the world. And few realms are as littered with wealthy, corrupt, greedy, shady characters as in the world of horse racing. Horse racing began, um, has long been a, a hobby of the wealthy. The insane cost of owning, maintaining, training a world-class horse is in the millions of dollars. The purses, the winning on the betting, um, these all exceed billions of dollars. And with all this money at stake, it's ripe for criminals uh, to make their way in. From heads of Mexican cartels, again, to foreign dignitaries, oil barons, the tycoons of Silicon Valley, Every elite wants to show their dominance in the uh, field of horse racing. It's a status symbol. 
It's a passion for perfection uh, for the elite of the elites to show uh, who can win in the stratosphere. It is the perfect realm for James Bond to use his talents to solve a case. It's just that too bad this happens to be a pile of hot garbage that is a view to a kill. Uh, but the story itself, it's good. To understand horse racing, you have to go back to 4500 BC to the nomads of Central Asia. Here, horses were first cultivated and broken for riding. Uh, and horse racing began. Once humans began riding horses, they started racing them. As horses found their way to Greece and Europe, the first Olympic Games held horse racing. Uh, chariot racing and mounted horses were both featured in the first Olympic Games. And from then, the Roman Empire continued the tradition of horse racing, and the sport has thrived since. Horse racing was a purely sport in its first incarnation. Uh, it was during this reign that Richard the Lionheart, cool name, uh, first uh, the first known prize, uh, prize purse was put. The races were ran by knights, and the track was approximately 4.8 kilometers, about three miles. Um, the knights were returning from the Crusades and had brought back Arab horses. These horses had both speed and endurance that was superior to those in Europe at the time. This led to an influx of imported horses as nobility began to wager on the races. And the, race, the arms race for Arab horses quickly grew. And by the 16th century, Henry VIII was importing horses from Spain, Italy, and establishing studs throughout Europe. By 1649, Charles I had a stud of 139 horses at the time of his death. Charles II, who ran from, reigned from 1660 to 85, is considered the father of English turf. It was during this time when prizes were first organized. Charles II also established Newmarket as England's horse racing headquarters. And during the reign of Queen Anne, the rules grew further, uh, purses grew, and the sport became truly professional. Multi-race seasons and purses were created, and the explosion of attendance and spectator betting helped grow venues all throughout England. By 1750, a centralized governing body was created in Newmarket to try to curtail its cheating uh, and create uniformity of rules. James Weatherby uh, began tracing the pedigree of all horses in England. In 1791, he published his first book, his research, uh, called The General Stud Book. And from until then, until today, the Weatherby family has been tasked with keeping track of all the horses uh, bred in the General Stud Book. Uh... I mean, it's kind of cool that your family's had the same job for 200 years, but I don't know if I want that one. Oh, Mr. Weatherby, what is it that exactly you do for a living? Oh, I have a, I, I run the family business. And what is the family business, Mr. Weatherby? Oh, I watch horses have sex for a living. Yes, I watch big mares and big stallions have lots of sex. And I write it down in a little book. And that's what I do. Mr. Weatherby, and your family's been doing this for 200 years? We're the only ones. We're the experts on horse sex. What we do is we watch the horses. They fuck, and we love it, and we write it down. And my family has been doing this for 200 years. It's a very important job. Wow, Mr. Weatherby. Well, that is, that is certainly remarkable, Mr. Weatherby. Ah, for 200 years, my poppy and his poppy and his poppy before him, we love to watch the horses fuck. I mean, good, good for you. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. 200 years, the same dude, same family. <laughs> no, no, James, you're not going to college. 
You're going to watch these horses have sex and you're going to like it and write it down. But Papa, I want to be a movie star. No! No, you are not. You are going to watch these horses mate, James, and you are going to love it and you are going to write it down like all our father beat has. But Papa, I have dreams. I don't know what <laughs> I want I want to be a dancer. <laughs> James, we don't dance in this. We don't dance in this family. We watch horses have sex and that's what you're going to do. But Papa, but Papa, I must dance. No. Now write it down. Again, kind of cool. Kind of cool 200 years. 200 years of doing that, the same family. Um, I don't know if I'd want to do it. I don't know. I think I'd want to do something else, but... Eats their own, right? Anyways, going back on topic. These horses that Mr. Weatherby wrote down uh, are called thoroughbreds. And every thoroughbred can be traced back to one of three stallions. Either Darley Arabian, Byerly Turk, or Godolphin Arabian. If you are not from the bloodline of one of those three stallions, you are not, a, you are not considered a stallion. Or you're not considered a thoroughbred. So, all the thoroughbreds that you see now have one of three fathers. Slow clap for them. Horse racing crossed the Atlantic um, to America and established the first track, which was on Long Island in 1665. Still not nearly as popular in the States as it was in Europe, horse racing had an explosion after the Civil War. And by the 19th century, horse racing was the biggest sport in America, and it was almost exclusively ran by criminal enterprises. By 1894, uh, the biggest names in horse racing got together and created the American Jockey Club, who set out their own rules, which were modeled after England's. As the 20th century began, the progressive era started, and things like alcohol and gambling were banned, you know, all the fun stuff. So as gambling was cut out, horse racing was dying too. That was until the Kentucky Derby allowed to have paramutual betting. Uh, what this is, is it makes it so that the governing body gets their cut, as well as the house. And once these cuts are taken out, then the, you're just betting against each other. You're not betting against the house. And with this form of betting allowed, horse track was back on the rise. I talk about a lot in this, on this podcast, but you always look at principle versus um, convenience, right? Again, horse racing, Progressive Era was all about all these morality. You know, we got all these things going we can't do gambling because it's, it's bad and it's bad morality and we can't have we can't have the drink. Mr. Weatherby, them in America, they're, they're gambling, they're drinking. Cut it all out. Cut it all out, Mr. Weatherby. Uh, yeah. And until, you know, again, it's convenient until someone doesn't want to make money. So it's always, when you look at these policies, even back to back then, of course, and still today, you always look, is it, is it is, is something built on principle or is it built on convenience? And are you willing to bend that principle? And if you're willing to bend that principle, um, then it's it's not that serious of a of a of a statement. So by the end of World War One, man of war uh, was stealing headlines by winning races, and uh, horse racing was flourishing again. By the 1970s, Secretariat, Seattle Slough, and Affirmed were winning triple crowns. Uh, which in the U.S. are the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes. Horse racing has waned in popularity, uh, but horse races remain popular with billions of dollars at stake. Gambling has kept it afloat. 
And whenever there's billions of dollars at stake, crime, corruption, and in some cases, violence are sure to follow. In, in the case of A View to a Kill, Max Zorn and his scientists created a system of pumping drugs into a horse during the race to make it run faster. Now, its seemingly fictional plotline is not too far from some of the attempts that I've made through cheating. Uh, if you listen to my Zetas episode, I talked about how the Mexican cartel infiltrated uh, racetracks in New Mexico. What they would do is, again, it, it's a show of personal wealth. It's, rival cartels want to show who's got the better race, therefore, who's the better cartel. And there's a story about how one of the Zetas brought $110,000 in a crock pot um, and then gave it to to try to bribe the horse. That's a rudimentary, that's a very rudimentary form of cheating, just giving somebody cash. Uh, and then there's some comical one. I'm going to tell you a comical one next. And then again, there's more elaborate ones, What you're seeing now with Medina Spirit, who just won the Kentucky Derby, or Bob Baffert, or some of these high-end trainers. Um, they get elaborate with the way that they dope, just like Lance Armstrong when he was doping, winning Tour de France's. Uh, there's different level. There are levels to this, and there are different levels. So we're gonna go rudimentary, which is cartels just bringing a crockpot full of money. It's pretty rudimentary. The next one's pretty funny, a little more elaborate. And then you got people like Bob Baffert who are keep getting popped, putting steroids into your horses. So in 1984, there was a horse called Fine Cotton, uh, who was allowed to race at Eagle Farm. Fine Cotton wasn't considered a good horse. He wasn't a contender, so he was gonna get good odds. Well, what a crime syndicate thought was, hey, let's take Fine Cotton, let's switch him with another horse, and have that horse race as Fine Cotton, and no one will know. So they found a horse that they thought was going to be, was close, which much faster horse, and probably could win this. So they could bet high on Fine Cotton, and even though Fine Cotton they knew wasn't going to win, so they switched it out. Well, a couple days before the race actually started, Find, uh, the horse that they had to replace Fine Cotton got injured. So then they had to find another horse. Well, they found that horse, but Fine Cotton had white marks on his, on his legs. This horse did not. So the plan was, okay, what we're going to do is we're gonna, we'll dye the horse with women's hair product and peroxide, and we'll make it look just like Fine Cotton. Uh, but the problem was they forgot to actually dye the stuff. They forgot it. So on race day... The guy walks in, he's like, you didn't dye the horse. He doesn't have white legs. And the guy's just like, you know, I forgot something. You had one job. You had one job. Dye the hair legs. You can't do it without the white stuff. So what they did, they didn't have the higher dye. They didn't have enough time to do anything else. So what they did was they took white paint and they painted the, <laughs> the horse. Again, it's at, at some point, no one thought, all right, dog, this, this ain't going to work. Like, just abandon it. It's not going to work. Call it off. Well, they kept going. Again, crime, criminals are not always the most, are not always geniuses. And this is an example of criminals not being geniuses. So they kept with it. The guy who, the, the horse that they painted won the race and suspicions were aroused when they look at the horse and there's white freaking paint <laughs> on the back of the horse. Oh, no, no, that's, that's, not, that's not paint. Of course it's paint. How do you not say it's paint? So without, that, that, that got uh, found pretty quickly and they were all punished and banned from racing and 
again, comedy of errors. Well, again, that's a rudimentary example. Um, there are much more darker things. Um, horse racing has long been in the hairs of animal activists, and rightly so in a lot of instances. In years past, horses have been killed, uh, beaten, drugged, and endured some horrific treatment. Now, the high-end horses, the, the big ones, they live like kings, right? They only have the finest amenities, but those are the high of the high, though. And they're run by reputable, well-established breeders not trainer and trainers. Not all are so lucky, though. Uh, there are plenty of horses that do fall into the not or don't fall into the million dollar category, who are owned by again cartels or other shady enterprises that care much less about the horses and more about the results. High end though, drugs and doping have long been a part of the ho- of horse racing, and the efficacy of these drugs and the size of the horses uh, make doping of the horses a lucrative business. Tests have always far behind the manufacturer um, of drugs, as just like human sports. And there's a feeling like horse racing, like in baseball in the 90s, that everybody knows doping is going on. They're just complacent in letting it happen. Just recently, Kentucky Derby winner Medina Spirit, Medina Spirit tested positive for beta-methasone. It's a steroid pain used to reduce pain and swelling. It's especially dangerous for horses if they break their legs. Like They're under immense stresses under these races, and they need to feel their extremities. And more likely than not, if they break the leg, they're going to have to be euthanized. And it is for this that horses need to be able, again, feel their extremities. Even more so is that the trainer of Medina Spirit, Bob Baffert. Now, Bob Baffert is one of the most decorated trainers in horse racing. But this is his fifth horse to test positive this year. He continually denies animals using the animals with drugs, but five times in a year? Begs the question how rampant cheating actually is in horse racing. And what effect does it have on the animals? Now, Why Do A View To Kill is a remarkably horrible Bond film. The plot is one that's grounded in realism. A View To A Kill is the only Bond film, like I said, I will not let my loved ones see. I can't even bear to see it. The cringe in my eyes. It hurts. Uh, my guy, I tried to watch a movie and it's, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. That being said, you know, Mag Zorn is the, exactly the type of villain that would own a horse race and exactly the type of villain that would cheat on them. And the idea and plot of View to Kill is not a horrible one, like I said. It's the style, the cheesy Roger Moore. Roger Moore coming off is really creepy. The stunts clearly being done by everyone except for Roger Moore. And just the enormous and undeniable amount of cringe in this movie makes it impossible to defend. But again, thank God there are 23 soon to be 24 other Bond movies, which I can proudly and at nauseum brag about to others and watch for myself and enjoy with a well-made libation. This has been uh, Quantum of History. This has been The View to a Kill. This has been Horse Racing. As always, stay positive out there. And Grady, what should they be doing?